Welcome to McKinsey on Startups, a series focused on helping entrepreneurs and investors accelerate growth. Brought to you by Fuel, the firm's startup practice. Each episode, McKinsey editor Daniel Eisenberg speaks with founders, investors, and industry experts to share the latest perspectives across borders and sectors. Hello, and welcome to McKinsey on Startups. I'm Daniel Eisenberg. When you think about the pandemic's impact on fashion, what comes to mind? For most people, the answer is probably sweatpants, yoga pants, perhaps jeans or t-shirts, really any super casual attire or cozy athleisure wear that so many of us around the world started wearing every day as our homes suddenly became and have remained our offices. But behind the scenes, the business of fashion has been undergoing a much more serious makeover. As with so many other industries, the digital transformation of fashion and apparel has radically accelerated during COVID. This has impacted not only how the customer interacts with brands and retailers, but just as critically, how the industry operates far from the spotlight, whether managing its inventory, pricing, and supply chain, or designing and producing its products. An industry that has always been and still is built on a foundation of creativity and artistic expression is now adding more science to the mix, embracing technology to an unprecedented degree. A growing wave of fashion tech startups is both fueling and benefiting from this shift, and venture investors' interest in the sector is likewise growing. To help us understand how technology is fundamentally changing the business of fashion and fashion innovation, we are pleased to be joined today by Anita Balkandani, a McKinsey partner based in London who leads the firm's apparel, fashion, and luxury practice in the UK, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, as well as helping clients with developing strategic responses to the disruption shaping the retail industry. Anita also co-leads the industry's leading thought publication, State of Fashion, in partnership with the business of fashion. Prior to McKinsey, Anita was the global head of retail at OCNC Strategy Consultants and served as a non-executive director on the boards of Space NK Apothecary Limited and Majestic Wine PLC. Anita, thanks so much for joining us today. Let's start with a broad perspective. What is the role that technology and digitization has generally played in shaping the apparel and fashion industry over the course of the past two to three years? And how did this change with the arrival of the pandemic? So technology has been playing an accelerated role in the fashion industry over the last two to three years, particularly when it comes to the customer-facing side of the industry. This is to do with where and how consumers are discovering brands through to purchase and transaction and commerce and how consumers shop the category. And if anything, during the pandemic, that acceleration has completely step changed in many different ways. The sprint towards digital and e-commerce has absolutely marched ahead. In fact, you would argue it's what kept the wheels on the bus uh, when the fashion industry faced some of the fallouts of the lockdowns that took place across many regions and stores were closed. Digital was the only way you could access the category and shop it. But equally, the role of fashion and technology, I think it would be fair to say, has completely expanded, which is... It's been through the pandemic, not just about the customer facing initiatives, but also about the end to end initiatives across the organization. It's how people have designed product. It's how people have flowed product through and the role that technology has played in keeping the entire fashion value chain going has been immense. And there's a tendency to often think about technology and fashion in the context of what consumers or customers see and touch. But as you point out, there's the entire value chain and the back of the store story that is just as important. 
I'm wondering how technology is being leveraged across the rest of the supply chain in light of supply chain disruptions that occurred during COVID and how the fashion industry is looking at technology going forward. The answer to that is two-sided. On the one hand, we're seeing that 23%, for example, of the investments that have been made in the fashion and retail tech space have been in supply chain. But actually, if we step back, I think there is still a lot more to be done on this front. Specifically, we're excited about innovations such as the role that technology can play in just much more predictive demand forecasting to enable flow of product, the role that technology can play in on-demand production, the role that technology can play at the design front end and really eliminate a lot of the waste and the long lead times to do with physical production of samples. So I think we're still at the tip of the iceberg or the foothills, if you will, of all of that's capable here. To your point about the more demand focused approach. You talked about in the recent State of Fashion report, how that's going to have to be a real guiding principle for the industry going forward in terms of better management of inventory, more focus on the best selling or the core brands or products. And as you point out, better management of everything in the supply chain so that waste can be not entirely eliminated, but minimized. Speaking of the fashion report, one of the statistics that really jumped out was that up to 73% of the industry had actually destroyed value in the wake of COVID. Does technology have a role to play in starting to reverse this trend? How does a player leverage technology to win in the next normal of fashion? First of all, you're right, that's an eye-popping stat. And if anything, that's been a trajectory that the industry has been advancing on. So every year, what we see is that the proportion of the industry that is value-creating is actually reducing. So very much fashion becoming more of a, you would argue, winner-takes-all industry. And do we think technology has a role to play in reversing this? Absolutely. Typically in the industry, overproduction is a big issue. With 40% of garments are currently sold at a markdown. And that markdown is a huge source of value leakage and profit leakage in this industry. And the role of technology around advanced demand forecasting, AI-guided stock management, promotion and price optimization, the potential there is huge. Another example would be waste and more broadly tied into toxicity and the sustainability record of the industry. And we see that still a fraction, it's less than 1% of used products are recycled back into the fashion industry's value chain. So again, we feel like technology has a huge role to play there in sustainable materials, recycling, fashion repair, and sort of creating new streams of propositions and revenues for customers who are increasingly mindful of sustainability. Finally, another area that we think has huge potential is returns and e-commerce economics. So much as the industry catapults towards online, we anticipate by 2025 globally, 50% of the fashion industry will be online, sold via e-commerce. The proportion that will be influenced by online will be far greater And yet we also see that 93% of apparel retailers expect returns will continue to grow in importance and cost over the next three years. The P&Ls of a lot of fashion retailers, when you look at their online economics, they are pretty challenged even as they scale. 
So we do believe that technology has a huge role to play there with omnichannel inventory management, predictive virtual sizing. We absolutely see the potential of technology to solve some of the biggest industries, pain points and challenges, which also fundamentally are sources of profit leakage for this industry. I think you did some recent research in the UK looking at what succeeds and the key outperforming factors on e-commerce. I'm wondering if you could talk just briefly about some of those findings. We did some research trying to get under the skin of what really matters. There were a few key themes that I would take out of that. Number one, what you might call the core basics of retailing, product, price, experience. None of those have gone out of fashion and actually making sure that your proposition is strong and effective and differentiated is as, if not more important, in the competitive age we're in. However, what is also very clear is that there is huge consumer appetite and propensity for new innovation. We're definitely pushing on an open door with consumers when it comes to fashion tech. And we ran another study very recently just to pulse the consumer on adoption rates and likelihood to adopt a number of more fashion tech-forward innovations, whether they were sustainable clothing, AI-driven customer service, personalized clothing, live stream shopping, etc. We are surprised by how some of these innovations, which you could assume to be still quite niche, actually have huge proportions of the population that have either already tried or actually have a very high likelihood of trying. So, While the basics and fundamentals of what it takes to operate a brilliant fashion business, to some extent at the core, haven't gone away. What is different is the consumer openness to evolve that formula, drawing upon a huge host of fashion tech innovations that are now accessible. So we do think the players who win here, speed will be of essence and so will innovation. And I'm thinking of what you were talking about in terms of use of analytics for inventory management and predictive modeling. Is it fair to say that up until recently, the industry has not used these technology tools as much as other industries? Is it playing catch up compared to other sectors? On the one hand, when you look at online adoption in this industry, while it's nowhere at the order of magnitude of what you see in consumer electronics or music, it's definitely well ahead of categories such as food and beauty. You could look at that and say the fashion industry and its shift to online actually puts it in a pretty good relative position to other industries. On the other hand, because the industry has long been founded on the importance and centrality of creative art design, I think it would be fair to say that some of the core disciplines or the thinking around how you combine that art with science how you get the best value and how you could take very effective data-driven decisions in the end-to-end fashion system. Probably the industry has been slower to adopt it. There's been a lot of talk, clearly, and if you look back over the last five, seven years, this has definitely been part of the promise. But I think when you look still at the scale and the numbers, and we looked and took stock of the state of investment into fashion and retail tech, 2021 was really the point in which over the last decade, it was the most buoyant point of investment into this sector. Yet, when you actually look at the quantum of investment, 
and 18 billion might put it at a 10-year peak, but actually relative to the scale of the industry, it's a fraction. So we do think there is some catch-up and fashion tech, if anything, is still at the early stages of its evolution. However, I do believe that the pandemic has really shone a light on the criticality of getting digital and tech working effectively in the fashion industry and how it can be a fabulous complement to the art and creative energy that goes into this industry. How does technology factor into the evolution of the in-store experience going forward for fashion brands? Does the physical store have a role to play? And if so, how is it changing? I like to think of it as the pandemic forced the industry to collapse the walls between online and stores. So traditionally, you've always seen a bit of segmentation by channel, and this is our online channel, this is our store channel. With the lockdowns and customers left with online as the primary source of interaction, engagement, and purchase, we saw many retailers simply collapse and pull down the walls that exist between the two. And some practical ways in which that took place. One was a huge investment in clienteling that many retailers made, which effectively meant that colleagues in store were powered with technology, often mobile phone enabled, that would also give them access to engage with the customer and with the inventory that the brand held. You could have store colleagues providing brilliant service to customers who were shopping online. We saw the rise of virtual appointments, particularly in the higher purchase investment categories such as jewelry, watches, etc. We also saw many players using the stores as a source of inventory and point of fulfillment at a time when e-commerce distribution centers were overloaded and running out of inventory. Suddenly, the walls that existed between the two channels were really brought down. And I think people have realized that's probably how the customers actually do engage with the brand. And the customers are much more brand-driven and mission-driven rather than channel-driven. I do believe that what we're seeing now is a whole host of innovation, which really helps bring the digital and the physical together with both CRM, clienteling, customer service and experience and inventory as sort of the glue that brings all of that together. You talk about what the folks who work in the store can do with their phones, whether it's inventory or virtual service. It almost sounds a little like those people are getting additional responsibilities and almost empowered to do more than a traditional store worker might say 10 years ago. And we also think that is sort of driving a whole new level of skills, capabilities, and actually making those roles much more exciting and interesting. Because one of the things that technology has the power to do is to liberate store colleagues from what you might call the more administrative, routine, repetitive tasks, but also empower them to spend time on customer service, advice, and some of those other things that kind of really enrich the experience of shopping and give customers a reason to visit the store or indeed the website. You've talked in your reports about the trend of, I think you've called it casualization of what people are wearing and buying often, especially because of so many people staying home to work. I'm wondering how long-term you feel that that's going to stick. And does that have implications for 
the industry? Does a trend like that require the industry to use technology even more to cater to changing tastes? Fashion has always been around catering to changing tastes. And those who have been the most successful brands at any moment in history are the ones that have the best pulse on what the customer wants. And I think this is where tech has a huge role to play in keeping a retailer current on where this is likely to go, right? So because you could actually look at data that tells you what's likely to surge next and how can you position your offer and ensure that you've got the right levels of inventory to back that customer demand. So I think there's a huge opportunity there. And on your point of casualization, while that is a trend that is here to say and hasn't gone away, I think what is also true, and we're seeing this already in the data, is... And often people refer to this as the back to the roaring 20s. In the runway collections in 2021 from some machine learning analysis of runway items that we've done, you clearly see the expressions of optimism, boldness, self-expression. Actually, people are back buying more glamour, more special occasion wear with a vengeance. Now, it doesn't mean to say that casualization has gone away. It doesn't mean to say that in a hybrid world when we are going to be spending more time at home than we did prior to the pandemic, that athleisure and casualization go away. What it also does say is that the role that fashion plays in self-expression and in the ceremony of dressing up, and the evidence would suggest that that actually is starting to come back as People are injecting their life with more occasions and going back to more of a sense of normalcy as well. Right. Folks are clearly hungry and some would say desperate to go out to celebrate something and to maybe make it more special by dressing up after, say, wearing sweatpants for the better part of a year and a half. In terms of what you were just talking about, the use of technology and changing tastes, Is science taking a little bigger part of it than the industry 10 or 20 years ago because of these tools that they can use going forward? We certainly think the importance of science is growing and that actually we can find a happy medium where the science enables the art because it's actually helping point the art probably in a more targeted way. I don't think it will ever take away, though, that at the end of the day, this is also about creative imagination and bringing things that surprise consumers. I would say that the blend of art and science will continue to be important here. But I think equally at the same time, the role that tech and science can play in really solving some of the pain points and the choke points and the bottlenecks in the industry, right? Because you could say... The airbrushed view of the fashion industry is that everything is beautiful and everything looks perfect. But in reality, to get that perfect looking item and product on the shelves, you have a lot of back of house tasks that need to take place. And many of those have been manual, wasteful, and the opposite of streamlined. And the role that technology could play to really make that much more sustainable, much more streamlined, much less waste and much more effective is huge. So I think that's really where the opportunity lies. And potentially in that kind of logic, freeing up even more time for the innovation and the creative spirit of designers to take shape because they can perhaps make things happen faster and maybe not encounter as many obstacles in making their visions become reality. 
Exactly. And as a designer, you could spend even more time doing what you love, which is designing, versus a lot of the other more administrative tasks that also need to go in in order to make sure that you've got a sample at the other end that is ready to approve. So I think this is sort of very much about how do you liberate those who work in the fashion industry so actually can all spend more time on the creative and the customer value add. Let's shift a little bit and talk about the fashion tech startup landscape. Uh, you were talking earlier about the investment dollars into fashion and fashion tech have been quite strong, best in, in many years. And I'm wondering, what is your outlook going forward and how much has COVID impacted the view of investing in the space? A lot of the innovation that's coming on stream is still, you could argue, small in scale and quite niche. So we do believe there is a huge runway on a number of fronts, whether it's technologies that make shopping more frictionless, but also more fun, because we're certainly seeing consumers have appetite in fashion, certainly for not just experiences that are highly convenient and friction-free, but also something that is much more engaging and fun. Live stream shopping, conversational commerce, I think everything that we're seeing with gaming and at the interface of the fashion industry and gaming and NFTs, it's a huge amount of innovation that's still arguably early stage in the world of how do people transact and shop and engage with brands online. There's a huge amount of innovation then in what are the tools and technologies that make this a smoother industry to operate And so I think of elements such as predictive sizing, AI-driven customer service. And then you have a whole other swathe of innovation around completely new business models, resale, rental, personalized subscription boxes. And then finally, all of the innovation, which we're still at very early stages of, to do with sustainable materials, sustainable clothing, and so on. If you think about all of those buckets of innovation, I think it would be fair to say that while some are a bit more advanced than the others, across the board, there's huge potential for growth and runway. It sounds like the challenging last 18 months, that has not dimmed interest in investing in the space. Not at all. I think if anything, people are now increasingly seeing technology and data as one of the things that can be a source of competitive advantage, particularly if you look at some of the moves that the super winners in the industry are making in their shift and heavy emphasis and focus on direct-to-consumer, machine learning, AI. We do believe that the industry is sort of looking ahead and huge opportunity in the next five to 10 years to scale up a lot of the innovations that we're seeing. Is there still momentum behind digitally native, small fashion and beauty brands? or investing interest there? And how has that been impacted by the last 18 months, if at all? What we're seeing is continued consumer interest in and investor interest in this space. I think what is fair to say is there will be, and if I look at beauty as an analog, of all the innovation, and in fact, through the pandemic, we've seen the rate of innovation step up because there have been a lot of innovation that's been in the pipeline that's now starting to come out. 
The stats, however, and even prior to the pandemic, was that 5% of these innovations then go on to scale and succeed. Part of this will also be the skill in spotting which of these disruptors will indeed go on to become scale billion-dollar-plus brands. And I think increasingly what we're seeing is as these brands scale, their playbook of scaling is clearly rooted in digital and tech around community building using social media, social commerce, around direct-to-consumer engagement, personalization. But equally, in order to get to a billion-dollar-plus, Many of these brands are having to adopt uh, wholesale or wholesale-like models, enter physical distribution. So I think we're seeing much more of a playbook to scale that evolves from being purely digital towards one that is increasingly kind of more omnichannel here. Would you say in terms of scaling up for startups in this space, is distribution the biggest obstacle to succeeding at that scaling stage, or is that only part of it? Distribution is one of the challenges for sure. I think in fashion, less so in beauty because of the way the contract manufacturing base is set up, but I think in fashion, the supply chain as well, and how it's set up, some of the friction points in that supply chain, particularly if you're a brand that's looking to do something that is much more sustainable and technologically ahead of the curve. I think some of the investments in underlying technologies that can then help scale some of these things, there is a tech deficit in the industry and some of the elements of investment in the infrastructure into the supply chain and the back end, that deficit is still to be closed. So I think there are some challenges also on the supply chain front, I would argue. In terms of any lessons from the beauty category, which I believe has had more stability during COVID than the fashion industry, you've written about how a lot of beauty brands can succeed initially, but they end up having to become smaller parts of bigger companies. Is it inevitable that that is going to have to happen to even some of the successful startups in the fashion space? A couple of thoughts on the beauty industry. Different parts of the beauty industry were affected differently through the pandemic. So we saw fragrances and color, but particularly color to do with lip, foundation, etc., impacted much more, say, than skincare as a category. And yes, absolutely, at an aggregate level, beauty was less impacted than the fashion industry. And we're seeing, as I said, continued innovation coming on stream. The fact that we're definitely also seeing a big shift towards scale and consolidation beauty industry when you look at what's happening to the distribution channels with department stores affected, but also then with online platforms and some of the acquisitive moves that we've seen. I would argue that beauty brands, often a way to secure the future for the brand might be to be part of a conglomerate that actually then offers a broader level of advantage around scaling and access and ability to actually continue to invest and drive the brand in the way that's appropriate for it. The fact that many independent brands end up being acquired, I think in a way that's a positive force. Sustainability is obviously an important trend and it was highlighted quite a bit in the State of Fashion report. Uh, And I know you've also done reports on the industry and climate change. 
Walk us through the kinds of business models that are emerging to create value from conscious consumption and fashion. There's a lot of exciting innovation in this space. And I'll maybe just call out a few that I'm particularly excited about. One has been the growth and increase in resale, which we're definitely starting to see signs of the model scaling. And I think increasingly that the opportunity to extend the life of a garment or an object has some very powerful potential in terms of what it can do to the carbon footprint of consumption, while still satisfying the intrinsic desire that we as consumers have for newness, self-expression, etc. So I do think resale and the growth of resale models and actually the interest now that a lot of even luxury brands are putting in this space is very exciting and worth watching. The next space that I think is very interesting is the growth and rise of models and brands that are capturing consumers' imagination, but end up using dead stock fabric to produce garments. So you are doing so in a carbon footprint that is lower, but also in a way that's actually giving you some more special product that isn't just accessible and available all the time everywhere in mass quantities. I think the rise of models that are drawing on fabric that is dead stock, recycled, is extremely interesting. And then finally, the whole space of new materials, biomaterials, ecofabrics, this is a sector which is growing extremely fast. We expect, for example, the US ecofiber production market to be around $15 billion by 2025. I think it would be fair to say that these are not yet at full commercial scale, but investments in some of these sectors, be they biomaterials, be they hem, what we see players like Bolt Threads, Renew Cell do, is very interesting and worth watching. I was going to ask you how long it might be before these kind of alternative fabrics can become a key part of the industry from a critical mass standpoint, because I would think that would be a bit of a challenge. So I was wondering how much the mainstream industry is taking notice of these materials and how much it goes into their planning for the longer term. Look, it's definitely a longer term play. And many of these things are still in terms of share of actual garments or share of products that are drawing on some of these biomaterials, recycled materials is still very low. Having said that, you have a number of very key players in the industry that now are absolutely participating and partnering with many of these companies and really looking to bring these to life. So I think the fact that we have the good and the great of the industry really joining forces with some of these players and they're playing a much bigger role in helping scale, in really giving them the credibility. Actually, we're starting to see some of the early markers of actually this being able to scale and succeed over the next five to 10 years. Going hand in hand with sustainability are issues like social justice, working conditions in the supply chain. How much is that driving the conversation in the industry and forcing the industry to think about new approaches? This is definitely one of the things through the pandemic and particularly when the supply chains were disrupted and you had lots of producing countries like India, Bangladesh, severely affected with lockdowns. And 
the livelihoods of millions of human beings impacted by this. I think it really shed light on the importance of the sustainability debate to be not just about the planet, but to really expand beyond that into social worker rights and justice. Increasingly, what we're seeing is when the industry scorecards itself on sustainability, social justice and worker rights is a critical ingredient of that. And I think increasingly, players are absolutely clear that even if they're working with suppliers on an arm's length basis or a second tier of suppliers that they have no direct control over, it is no longer acceptable to have worker rights violated, infringed. Increasingly, fashion brands are acutely conscious of making sure that that record is also set straight. If anything, the pandemic has broadened the discussion around sustainability And the two big shifts that we're seeing is increased importance of social justice. Actually, many brands were either lauded or vilified for how they treated their partners and supplier workforce through the pandemic. It's gone away from being about net zero in terms of emissions to also nature positive. So what are we giving back to the environment as well? I think that's been definitely interesting to see that through the pandemic, the sustainability debate, which was increasingly important in the industry, only stepped up in its importance and focus. Going back to investment themes in the startup world, social commerce platforms and marketplaces have obviously grown meaningfully over the past few years. Is that still a major area for investment focus? Online marketplaces have absolutely been the powerhouses that have really driven the growth and share in online shopping over the pandemic. Clearly, we've seen huge online growth in the last 18 months. But if we had to disaggregate that growth into the type of player that was driving it, I think it would be fair to say that online marketplaces took well more than their fair share of the growth in consumer, both in terms of traffic as well as spend. So I think online marketplaces definitely continue to be on a scale trajectory. The focus of investment, if anything, we may start to see a consolidation there into the winning models also start to play out in that space. Social commerce, China has always been at the forefront of social commerce. And every time you talk about social commerce, China comes up. It's 13% of total e-commerce in China. Contrast that to the US, where it's 4%. And I think certainly from the fashion and beauty industry, as we look ahead for the next three years, that is the source of growth that we are most excited about. We do believe some of the conditions to make social commerce a bigger share of the e-commerce economy, even in the Western world beyond China, are starting to show signs. And so that's definitely a space that we are watching carefully. Well, I just want to ask one more question. We usually end our podcast by talking of a longer horizon. I'm just wondering if you were to look at the industry five to 10 year horizon, how much you think technology will have transformed it by say the end of this decade and what will stand out as the the biggest transformations based on technology? I would say there are three big things that I would look ahead to. In my sense, they are both 
aspirations, but equally areas where we're seeing the biggest investment and focus. I think number one would be the role that technology can play in minimizing overproduction, waste, and actually better matching consumer demand and supply. I think that's a huge potential there to pioneer a fashion model, which is just much less wasteful, but equally in a way that is much more responsive to what the customer wants and demands. So I think that definitely is an area of innovation and transformation that we believe holds huge promise. The second area I would think about is a world in which the fashion industry is really able to reshape its economics, particularly its online economics, through addressing returns, the last mile, and the flow of goods, and a lot of the waste that exists in the end-to-end value chain. So I think that's another huge potential there to really streamline the value chain to be much more efficient and effective. And then finally, I think would be just the promise around new circular business models, new technology, fabric innovation that can enable us to look ahead to a fashion industry that just has a fundamentally better equation with the resources that go into its production and consumption. So I think the role that technology can play in really helping companies genuinely address that. That gives us a lot to think about. Fashion is obviously such a key part of all of our lives, and the intersection of technology with fashion is really a fascinating thing to keep abreast of. So I think going forward, it'll continue to capture our attention. I like the challenge on the 10-year view because I do believe it's time for the industry to look at where it would like to be in 10 years and then work back from there. Because many of these technologies will need that lens around how do you completely reimagine what you do versus tweaking and refining the system that we have. Right. Watching the industry, especially in the resale category, I've been pleasantly surprised by how they're starting to embrace it now, as opposed to resisting it, which I envision could be a natural impulse at some points, but now really starting to take part in it and try to do partnerships with online resale marketplaces and get their customers to be involved, but also include the brand themselves in the equation. It seems like that's a positive indicator of an industry maybe more open to change going forward. I'd absolutely echo that view. Well, listen, Anita, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a great conversation. Great. And a great opportunity for the fashion industry to not waste a good crisis here and take the opportunity to really reimagine itself. Indeed. Thanks again. Well, that's our podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Anita Balkandani, McKinsey partner based in London, who heads up the firm's apparel, fashion and luxury practice in the UK, Europe, the Middle East and Africa. As always, I want to thank our great McKinsey on Startups production team, Molly Carlin, Polly Noah, Sid Ramtree, Myron Shergan, and Katie Snamarowski. And of course, thank you for listening. We hope you'll return for future episodes of McKinsey on Startups. This has been McKinsey on Startups, hosted by Daniel Eisenberg. We welcome your feedback, so please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you join us next time for more broad global perspectives on the challenges and opportunities for accelerating growth. Thanks for listening.